Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Jennifer Roig Francoli, who is a certified Alexander Technique teacher and professional violinist based in Cincinnati, Ohio. She teaches uh, the Alexander Technique at the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music and currently offers two levels of certification in her new educational program called The Art of Freedom for Musicians. And it's that program that we're going to talk about today. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi, Robert. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's good talking to you. Um, could, could you begin by giving our listeners a very short description of the Alexander Technique? Ah, well, the Alexander Technique is, first of all, it is something that has changed my life completely, and I totally love it because it helps me feel free in my performance, in my practice, in, and basically in every aspect of my life. And being a teacher is one of the best things that's ever happened to me because I, I am free to help people to feel the same way. Right, right. Well, and... And, and you said, well, it helps you feel free as you play. It also makes you be free as you play, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, what it really does is it helps me be free to be me on stage or anywhere. And that includes my mind, my body, my soul, everything about me that I think is me in that moment. So, um, and I would agree with you about uh, being an Alexander Technique teacher being just amazing occupation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I feel so to, blessed yeah, every day. <laughs> really. Um, so um, that's the Alexander Technique. And what is it that you're doing specifically in this program, The Art of Freedom for Musicians? Obviously, you're focusing on musicians. And what are you doing that's, that kind of makes that unique? Well, this program that I have is relatively new. I started it last fall, and it's still an ongoing experiment, actually. And mm -hmm. it's developing into something that is really exciting, and I'm growing the numbers of my students. Um, what it is is it's a recognition that musicians in general suffer from several categories of problems <laughs> mm -hmm. and actually musicians really we're the same as everybody else but I just find it helpful to work with musicians because that's me I'm a musician I have a lifetime of experience in performance and um, so I feel like I really understand musicians from the inside out mm -hmm. but the issues that we are are constantly dealing with well, well not all musicians have pain but many musicians um, deal with some sort of pain issues from time to time. Um, they can actually get to be severe so that there are plenty of professionals who um, are impeded from working because of pain issues like mm -hmm. carpal tunnel or tendonitis or back or pain, uh, back pain, shoulder issues. Mm -hmm. um, and once you, you have a career, it can be really challenging to face those issues. Um, and to know what to do about it while not wanting to stop performing or to stop teaching or whatever it is that you do with your instrument. So there's the pain factor mm -hmm. that I'm helping people prevent as well as manage. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, a lot of my students are aware that they need some help with their posture and with muscle tension. Um, instrumentalists uh, tend to 
know that they're they're gripping their instruments too much or they're holding their breath or they're holding around their rib cages if they're wind players. Um, singers also have a lot of questions about breathing and um, how, what they're doing with their arms or you know how they're standing when they're performing. So posture and tension issues. And then another big category that I focus on is performance anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Yes, it is. <laughs> I actually like to think of performance anxiety as performance excitement so that it feels the same, but it gives a positive spin to it. And you can actually look forward to a performance instead of dreading it. Right. And I, my perspective on musicians as a, a complete non-musician myself, mm-hmm. but who, someone who's worked a lot with musicians really my entire teaching career, even on my training course, I was surrounded by mm-hmm. uh, professional musicians who were who were training or teaching, is that w- while you say musicians are, are like the rest of us, they are, but they are doing things that the rest of us don't do, right. wh- which, which, are incre- which, is, which are incredibly challenging mm-hmm. in that they are putting in long hours doing the same b- basic movements over and over again. Yes. And so any kind of misuse that's crept in is is doubly or triply uh, an issue for them because mm-hmm. they're they're doing that same thing for hours at a time. They often have terrible schedules, performance mm-hmm. schedules, teaching especially, schedules. Yeah, students especially. Oh they just yeah. run to the ground sometimes. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean people on a on a to, uh, uh, I'm talking uh, specifically yeah. about my, I mean, I'm thinking of my students at the mm, university. Right. They're in a conservatory ses- setting and mm-hmm. their schedules are just crazy. They do not have downtime to, to just be with themselves and rest. And right. they, they really need to consciously schedule that in. They're, right, right. They're just, there's so much asked of them, that's all. So that combined with performance anxiety and mm-hmm. the the job market not always being phenomenally good, <laughs> no, to put it mildly. Really hard in um, this country, especially. It's, it's tough, and and it's and it's maybe it's not surprising that I think the statistics are roughly eighty percent of all professional musicians play in pain some of the time. Yes, I believe that. Actually, I did. I, I mean, it sounds crazy and unbelievable, but I actually have performed. I've performed in many capacities, and one of them has been to be an extra in the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. And so I know a lot of the players personally. And also, I, I gave a, a, a workshop once at the Conservatory of Music to um, one of the wind studios. And I, I just off the top of my head said something like, yeah, 75% of the musicians in the symphony are, in, are playing in pain. And there happened to be a symphony member present when I said that. And he's, oh, no, 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 no. It's, I would say 99%. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a huge percentage of people who suffer in silence and are very often afraid to actually do something about it. Right, that silence factor is a really interesting one. I, I had an incident. Uh, several years ago when I was teaching a group of um, students who were not in a conservatory program, but I guess, you know, an academic slash performance program. And that topic came up about pain. And uh, there were a couple of professors there as well as students. and, And I said, well, 
that seems to be the case, that a very high proportion of musicians are in pain. And one of them said to me in the group quite uh, unabashedly, well, we don't like to talk about that too much. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an interesting thing that he said. I, I was really struck by it. Uh, and I think it it reflects something that you touched on, which is that musicians feel like they should not, they should be able to just kind of power through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's partly in our culture, too. It's in our culture, yeah. And I do think that musicians are like athletes. We are yes, athletes. You are <laughs> and, athletes. A different and, kind of an athlete, but I yeah. would say a more challenging... <laughs> I, 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 you know. Sure, I don't want to compare. However, you know, we we don't tend to think of ourselves as athletes because the type of athletic performance we're doing is on such a micro scale. I mean, we're talking about fingers moving mm-hmm. athletically, <laughs> but we also sometimes forget that the whole body is included in what we do and that not just it's not just a mental activity so i'm i'm talking right now specifically about or especially about classical musicians because that's my my forte but i'm sure this applies to most types of musicians as well but classical musicians we are um, very very aware of the subtle nuances of the the phrasing, the tone. I mean, there are millions of things that we could be focusing on in a performance on a micro, micro scale. And so much of it seems to be mental that we forget that we actually do have toes (laughs) and we have Mm -hmm. ankles and bones Mm -hmm. and blood and hearts. And (laughs) there's this whole um, body that we live in that we would not be able to we wouldn't be able to make the exquisite beautiful music that we make if we didn't include awareness of our bodies to some degree and the more we include our bodies just with simple awareness like where are my feet right now <laughs> the more we can do that the more depth we give to our music yeah i mean i you can as a teacher i've often performed very simple experiments with musicians just asking them just play a piece or sing or do whatever you do and and make make part of that i i my whole body the thought that my whole body right down to my toes is involved in some way i don't need to know how mm-hmm. and that'll usually make a pretty dramatic difference yes it does it and changes the sound it 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 changes the sound it generally makes their playing less uh have they're able to play or sing with less harmful tension mm-hmm. I mean, just that that thought alone uh, which is almost pre a pre alexander thought you might say uh, m- makes makes a big difference so so what is it that you're doing with the art of freedom for musicians that is um, going to help musicians with all these issues that we've talked about well, <laughs> that first thing that we mentioned is is just hugely important. I'm teaching my students to just be aware. Right. Um, and it's a skill. First, it's a skill. It is a skill, and it needs to be practiced. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it does count as your practice time as a musician. Uh, uh, but I'm helping people be also to, I think my, my main purpose in a way is to help my students realize that they are free as human beings to think as they wish or not think. They are free to move or not move as they wish in their bodies. 
and they are free to believe what they believe, what they or not believe. And so it's like the whole, the mind, the body, the soul, spirit, whatever a person thinks is them is totally free to be doing or thinking or, you know, experiencing whatever they're experiencing in the moment. So musicians, performers, we tend to block out aspects of ourselves. And that, that relates a little to the anxiety issue. It's all related. But I'm helping the students to realize that they are free and then to learn how to make the best use of that freedom, including aspects of how they're using their bodies, how they are approaching practicing. Um, You know, a lot of students have, not just students, a lot of musicians of all ages and abilities have guilt um, of some sort related to their practice habits. Mm-hmm. And that cre- that guilt in itself creates tension. The guilt Any- being that they're not yeah. practicing enough? That's the guilt you're talking about? They're not practicing enough. Yeah. They're not practicing the right way. They're mm-hmm. not getting better the way they think they should be getting better. They're not progressing. They're not being able to solve these problems that they have, whether it's how how to get this particular bowing correct, this, this technique correct. I mean, there's so much guilt about not listening living up to expectations, whether they're someone else's expectations or they are someone else's expectations that have become internalized so that the musician thinks their own, well, they become your own expectations for yourself. So we tend to have a lot of perfectionists in our field. (laughs) Right. And and what I've seen, again, with my own students who who do a lot of practicing, you Mm -hmm. know, apart from performing and so on, Mm -hmm. is that there's... It seems to me that many of them have an idea or have been kind of trained to have an idea that the way to practice is to do a lot of it over and over yeah, again. Yeah, and this really gets me. It gets me too because <laughs> I've I've seen uh I've seen examples of 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 students who for one reason or another it just didn't even have the time to do all that practicing and if they learn to practice with adding a bit of self-awareness and self-direction, Alexander technique-ish direction, like freedom directions, into their practice, then in fact they really don't need as much time. They, they can no. cut back on the quantity yeah. if they're really bringing a different quality to their... Exactly. Their, but that's that. what I've heard as feedback from them is that when they broach that topic with their teachers mm-hmm. uh, they, they get a very negative reaction generally although those same teachers may have noticed that that hey they're doing they're doing the piece a lot better than than before they've made good progress mm-hmm. but the idea that they could get that progress without putting in the long long hours <laughs> seems to really rile some professors i i've that's my sense i i imagine you've run into that as well i have and i continue to and i'll i'll say in defense of the teachers who don't do this (laughs) it's not all music teachers who focus on quantity over quality and Mm -hmm. i i think actually there are more of the other that don't require a certain time to practice. So the world is not, you know, it's not that bad. However, there are teachers who require their students to practice a certain number of hours. And this is just not helpful because as soon as a student has this imposed upon them, 
um, a quantity imposition. Mm-hmm. It's no longer, it, they don't any longer feel free to not do that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I mean, that that's the first thing, is mm-hmm. that if a teacher, an authority figure is telling you, and also somebody who's successful in their field, so they're an expert in their field. Right. If they are telling the student, you need to practice five or six hours every day if you want to become successful, well, it's very likely that the student is going to believe the teacher. And and yet the student may have a sense that they really don't need that amount of time, which in my humble opinion is, is a more accurate sense <laughs> that they don't need to be practicing five or six hours a day. And, but they're going to do it anyway because the teacher said to. Mm-hmm. And that's really horrible because what are they going to be doing for five or six hours? A lot of it is going to be forcing themselves to practice when they don't actually want to. And if you're forcing yourself to do something when you really don't want to, I mean, you'd rather be outside on a sunny day or talking with your friend or something, mm-hmm. then you're forcing this act of forcing yourself to do something is taking away the pleasure from actually doing it. And you're also creating a lot of tension in yourself because there's a conflict there's a war going on inside yourself i want to be outside no i have to practice and that is so basically what those students are doing is they are practicing how to play their instruments with excess tension and conflict yes yes absolutely so you're going to get really good at being able to play your instrument with tension and conflict inside of you and less joy and so what i'm wanting to help my students with what i am helping my students with is how to love playing their instrument and love performing with their whole self so they're not conflicted about it and if you really really love what you're doing you're actually going to want to practice for Mm -hmm. one thing Mm -hmm. you're going to love practicing you're going to also have the freedom to step away from your instrument and do something else which is going to rest your mind rest your body and give yourself a really really necessary break so that when you come back to your instrument you're going to love it again yeah. It's it's so sad yeah. for me to see so often how students can and I hear this I've had posts on you know comments on my blog from people all over the world musicians who loved music they started playing their instruments because they loved it and then they get to college or they get mm-hmm. to a certain level and then teachers they start teachers start requiring them to work harder and the harder they work the more they start to lose that joy and love of playing yeah yeah it's, it's really I, sad i can think of a, a a kind of an example that illustrates that uh it's not a student of mine although i i have done a little bit of work with her uh who um is uh, is a pianist and a, a really talented pianist, and she's found her perfect teacher mm-hmm. uh, in a different location than where she lives. But she she was in a, 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 a an academic program, and her teacher, who's not an Alexander teacher, but someone who's very in tune with Alexander ideas, uh, said to her flat out, "Don't do don't go for the PhD. It'll destroy your playing." Uh, and I thought, what an interesting thing. And that was just based on her experience, not with any connection to the Alexander technique, just uh, observing what happens. Uh, and the other thing that I... It doesn't have to be like it that. It doesn't have to be like that, but unfortunately, it, it, it often is. And the other thing that, that I, I got from all this this connection was, yes, there are times when you're going to have to spend a fair amount of time learning a new piece. That's 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 going to require quite a bit of repetition, yes. but um, 
you know, once you've learned it, and especially if you're using Alexander Ideas as you're learning it, you don't have to keep doing playing it over and over again. Now, once your brain has got it, once yeah. those neural connections are really strong, <laughs> yeah, you you know it. And then a lot of our repetitious practice is out of fear that we maybe don't really have it. And so <laughs> Right. Right. Uh, yeah, again, back to the quantity issue. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I I am so Absolutely, I really believe <laughs> that this type of quantity, five, six, eight hours a day, is not what we need. If a student learns how to practice efficiently, and that means really be able to stop, think, play, yes, stop, think, and play. I mean, it's right. like that simple. Um, and to know when to stop, which is usually much, much, much sooner than people do, Yes, be able to stop and really consider what did I just do and how and then what is my intention what do I want and then release tension be able to free yourself up and trust trust is hugely important um, I make a big deal about trust in my program mm -hmm. <laughs> um, then just play it again and see what happens and learn from that experience and then stop and you know that type of really 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 mindful practice with an awareness of the space around you and within you, awareness of the body, everything, you can get so much done so quickly. You can be done with what you want to do in half an hour and then come back to it again later. And have a life. And have a life and enjoy yeah. your music at the same time. And I, I always give this example not to put focus on myself, but to show that it's possible. <laughs> I'm a violinist. I perform. I do not perform regularly at all anymore. I used to do that, but now my focus is really on teaching Alexander Technique and the Art of Freedom. So I truly do not practice my instrument at all unless for one, you know, one day maybe I feel like playing my violin for fun. But I don't practice unless I have a performance coming up. And this is not to boast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> However, it is totally possible that I cannot practice literally for months at a time and then pick up my instrument again if I have a concert coming up. And I'm almost always just stunned at how I've actually improved in my playing mm -hmm. over those two months of not playing. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. is because, not because I just went to the beach for two months, it's because I've been working on my primary instrument for two months. Which and is yourself. Which is myself, yes. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that is what I'm teaching my students, that you are your own primary instrument and you need to be practicing yourself and how your mind and your body work together so that you can be coordinated all the time. And then you bring that to your secondary instrument, which is your violin or piano or guitar or banjo, whatever you play. That's your secondary instrument. And you just sort of attach that instrument to yourself, mm -hmm. if you're if mm -hmm. you are well coordinated and you have a very clear, very clear intention in yourself about the sound you want and all of the specifics about all those details about phrasing and meaning of the music, and if that that intention is super clear, it will flow through your system and just come out your instrument. And you don't have to be spending all this time looking at specific details about what do I do with my little pinky. That's important, but it's really, really very relatively important. The rest of it, paying attention to your whole self and how you use yourself all day long, that's the real practice. 
that right. gets and resolved. That, and, and that 90% or more of that's going to take place when you're not playing. Just yeah, that's why I, yeah, exactly. That's why I tell my, my students, you are practicing your instrument all the time. So yeah, you should never, ever, put it. Yeah. you should never, ever feel guilty ever again about not touching your instrument for a certain amount of time. If you are actually practicing mm-hmm, your primary mm-hmm, instrument mm-hmm. yourself all day long. And but, I think that distinction between our primary, your primary instrument yourself and mm-hmm. the object that you're applying it to the violin mm-hmm. or the piano mm-hmm. or whatever. I think that's a really crucial yeah. point to make. That singers get this, of course. Singers get it because <laughs> they, it's all all mushed together. But They already know that uh, they are but, their primary but, instruments. But instrumentalists, I think a lot of them aren't, have not really thought through that, have not really thought that through and have not thought through the implications of that. Yeah, the, of those two, The two instruments and one of them is pretty infinitely modifiable if i can say that mm-hmm. and the other one's not really i mean that's the, true <laughs> the, the stradivarius isn't going to alter itself just because you're playing it in a weird way and you know what's yeah. interesting is that you actually can alter the instrument depending on how you're using it mm-hmm. oh really so, how, how? oh yeah it's fascinating and a lot of instrumentalists will know what i'm talking about um, but it, even though it sounds really strange mm-hmm. <laughs> um if you give a violin to a great violinist who really knows what they're doing, mm-hmm. and you let them play that play your violin for a while, mm-hmm. then they give it back to you. Mm-hmm. It sounds different. It feels different. They have affected the the physics of that instrument. In, so, in a, obviously, in very subtle ways. But yeah, that's I had never thought of that before. It is really true, and um, that's why actually. The sound that a musician produces, of course, it's enhanced by having a great instrument, of mm-hmm. course. I mean, you're going to sound better on an Amati or than on a, a Chinese factory violin. <laughs> that's, right. that's a given. However, within that, um, your sound really is reflecting yourself. Mm-hmm. And this is absolutely true. So if I play a junky violin... It's going to sound better than somebody who really doesn't know what they're doing playing the junky violin. I mean, that's right. that's just obvious. Right, right. <laughs> but um, it the sound. This this is a really important point for musicians to understand, though, is that the sound that they get out of the instrument is reflecting themselves, and so you can hear a person's personality or type, or you you can hear a lot of who the person is through their sound but when you listen so so a good part of your job is making sure that yourself gets transmitted to the playing without mm-hmm. de- without creating tensions and patterns yeah, without interfering block, without interfering with that exactly. that's a nice way of thinking of it mm-hmm. So yeah. all of these things that we've talked about today are part of, of what you do in, in the Art of Freedom for Musicians, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I've got eight modules. Um, mm-hmm. Each module is six weeks of classes. Mm-hmm. And they can be taken in any order. They're on very, they're all on, they're all about the Art of Freedom and the Alexander Technique, but they focus, each module focuses on a specific topic. So the topics that I cover are... Like module one is pain, tension, and anxiety relief for musicians. Mm-hmm. 
Module two is relax and breathe with natural posture. Mm -hmm. Then I've got feeling at home on stage, connecting with your audience, efficient practicing with less guilt, integrating artistry with your life philosophy, burnout and inspiration, and sharing the art of freedom is my last module, module eight. And that one is a really special module, and there is a prerequisite for that one. You can't just dive into that one. <laughs> that one actually starts to help musicians learn to how, how to use their hands to help their students right. or right. family members or friends. So right. I'm not teaching people. This is really important. I'm not teaching my students how to teach the Alexander Technique at all. This is not an Alexander Technique training course by right. any means. Right. But that last module... Um, is important especially for musicians who want to be educators because educators, music educators naturally tend to use their hands to touch their students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, singing, voice teachers will naturally come and adjust a, a singer's posture, for instance, or adjust the angle of the head on the neck. Mm -hmm. And violin teachers will naturally go and touch a, a violinist's shoulder and say, look, this is shoulder's too high, or you right, need to fix right, that. Or, right. oh, and then they adjust the violin hand posture, the bow hold posture, or where mm -hmm. the fingers go. So there are, it's very, very important for teachers to know how to touch their pupils in the most helpful way. And a lot of touch is actually manipulative. So Alexander Technique touch is it's so wonderful and people fall in love with it because it is non-manipulative. It does not um, impose anything on the student. It is a neutral touch that's helpful. And kind of an inviting touch. Yeah. 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 It's an encouraging touch, and exactly. I like to think that my my touch is just remind. It's a reminder. It's a gentle reminder to my students that they are free to be exactly how they are. If they're tense, they're free to be tense right now, mm -hmm. and they just need to start to become aware of it. And just this pure awareness tends to help it change by itself. Well, I I think we're we may be sort of out of time. Mm -hmm. um, oh, this has been this really is a good fun. place. <laughs> To bring to bring our talk to an end, I, I'll just say that I will be putting a link to Jennifer's website uh, by by the interview, and so you can contact her if you're interested in in her program. Great. Um, I'll put also put a link to um, a, a page on my site that has a lot of resources for musicians related to the Alexander Technique. And I'll also put a link to the, the main site where you can learn more about the technique in general, locate a teacher in your area if that's what you want to do. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Robert. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. And you're doing such a, a wonderful service for people, teaching them about Alexander Technique and how it can help. Oh, now I'm blushing. Thank, now thank I'm blushing, you. Jennifer. <laughs> I can't great. take all that praise, but thank you so much. <laughs> all right. See you next time. Bye-bye. Yeah, Bye-bye.